This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to a Saturday night special edition of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Here's your inevitable host, Rob Carson. As we join special guest and somebody who I admire a great deal, uh, Dave Rubin joins us on the Newsmax Hotline. Dave, welcome to the Rob Carson Show. Glad to have you on, man. Rob, it's good to be with you. I'm a big fan. I like your approach to uh, uh, to your podcast and, and all the video. I, I, I watch you all the time. I think you and I are kind of similar. Um, I am a comedy writer by trade. I wrote for Rush Limbaugh for uh, about 25 years of my life, and uh and I, and I have dabbled in stand-up comedy, and I have a, you know, a, a curiosity about politics. You have a poli-sci degree, and you are a stand-up comic. How does this skill set uh, come together uh, for you at this stage in your life? Why don't you tell us a little about it? <laughs> well, in some ways, I guess, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't add up in a certain way, but if you yeah. think about it for an extra second, then it probably adds up in more ways than you can imagine. I mean, yes. look, politics, unfortunately, has become what religion or belief is supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to have some sort of view of the world, whether you get that through religion or whatever you get it from, whatever your family beliefs are, that gives you some sort of holistic way to go out into the world and and see it a certain way and then hopefully thrive in in that that adventure that you're on. Uh, But politics has sort of replaced everything these days. And man, if you cannot figure out a way to be funny in the midst Uh. of this, I mean, yes. we've got a president who's barely hanging on by a thread mentally. We've got a vice president who I, this woman could not teach a second grade class <laughs> if her life depended on it. That's yes. not even to talk about Pelosi's eyebrows or AOC's uh, uh, IQ or the rest yes. of it. I mean, they're handing it to us <laughs> these days. They really are. And, and you know, people yeah. are always worried. Oh, man, the wokesters are coming and, and the Democrats are out of control. And it's like look, guys, I'm pretty sure we can handle this crew. I understand that it's scary sometimes and all that. But if this is the best, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, Oh, and by the way, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Gilbert Gottfried's passing. Um, This this has been a rough, dude, this has been a really rough year. Norm MacDonald last year, you got Louis Anderson. I knew Louis Anderson. He he was very instrumental in my, when I was uh, doing radio in Minneapolis in the 90s. He was very instrumental, very good person. Um, You've got uh, Bob Saget. And yeah. now Gil- Gilbert Gottfried, and on top of all of that, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, his plum gig with Aflac was destroyed because he made the mistake of making a joke. Isn't that something? You know, if people think about Gilbert Gottfried for a moment, oh. I mean, the guy was a hilarious comic, you know, yeah. worked incredibly blue. I mean, he was one of the filthiest <laughs> comics and the aristocrats and all that. Uh, he was a great guy. You know, I, I lived on the Upper West in New York City for years, and I used he lived right by me, and I used to see him on the street all the time. And he was this sort of, no, off stage. he was the quietest, most pleasant guy you could ever imagine. There was no sort of Hollywood ego vibe about him. Couldn't have been nicer. Um, so it's, it's a really bad loss. But you're right. You know, Bob Saget actually was one of my best friends on this earth. Wow. Uh, and I had just spoke I'm to sorry. him a few days, two days before, actually, before he passed. 
And he was just such a good guy. And, you know, when you think about why television is important, uh, it's because we don't have many things anymore that really bring us together. And, you know, Bob, when even though Full House was a little bit on the young side for me, yeah. I'm 45 years old, so I was yeah. sort of beyond that, that sitcom thing at that point. But I loved America's Funniest Home Videos, of course, and then Bob yes. did all sorts of great things after. And he was a great stand-up. But, you know, he was sort of America's dad in a certain sense, if you were a certain age. The way, Amer- the way Betty White became America's grandmother for so many people through the Golden Girls and everything, and generations before that with Mary Tyler Moore and everything else. So we need these people to kind of bring us together. We don't have much of that these days, unfortunately, no, because, no. because entertainment has become so politicized. Now you've got a, uh, a new book. It's called Don't Burn This Country. I want to get into that in a second, but... Um, you are a conservative and you are funny. And I remember in the 90s when I was in Minneapolis, there was a local uh, rag. It was very liberal. And they couldn't believe that I could be conservative and be funny. The Literally, the, he- <laughs> the headline of the story was, there was a parody of the Virginia letter to Santa Claus. It was, yes, Virginia, conservatives can be funny. Yeah, I think it's a little easier to be uh, funny and conservative because being uh, funny and liberal usually strays into vitriol, which isn't funny. No, well, that's exactly right. You know, these things are somewhat cyclical. So, you know, what what humor usually is, you're sort of punching up, you're trying to find some societal norm and go at it. Well, these days, all of the societal norms are, are lefty norms, even though the things that they're pushing on us are not normal. I mean, they're pushing crazy stuff on us, like boys or girls, and two plus two is five, and being mm-hmm. non-racist is racist. If you cannot find some humor in that, you're really... <laughs> You're really in the wrong line of work, which, yes. which, by the way, Rob, that's why so many of the comedians that, that should be great these days are afraid of doing comedy. You remember when, uh, about it was almost 10 years ago now, Jerry Seinfeld, who, to me, Seinfeld is the greatest sitcom of all time, and, and most of the heart of it came from Larry David, but I, I have nothing but respect for Jerry. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld was doing college gigs, and then one day he announced that he wasn't going to do it anymore. Yeah. Because he made a very silly gay joke that was not offensive in any way. But yeah. he said the audience turned on him and he said, I just don't need it anymore. Now, the funny thing is, Jerry Seinfeld, nobody knows his opinions about anything. He is the least politically incorrect yeah. comedian you could <laughs> yes. ever imagine. Yes. And you've got this guy saying po- colleges have become too politically incorrect. So the fact that that, that sort of thing has happened, you know, what, where would we be? If George Carlin was still alive right now, he'd be getting booed off of college campuses. This guy yeah. was fighting the power every single day of his life, Amen. and and he would be considered an old white guy right now. That that's really a sad state of affairs because he was the best of the best. Well, we do have a, a few beacons of uh, of light. Uh, I just watched Dave Chappelle's latest special. I've seen Sticks mm-hmm. and Stones. I saw the one after that, and he's given him a little wet fur. And and fortunately, unlike Disney, Netflix is backing Dave Chappelle. But well, your book, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, that's good to see. So there are a couple. Yeah. I put Chappelle sort of at the top of that. Joe Rogan's right there, obviously. Yes, there's, yes, there's yes. A couple of guys, but you get a lot. You get a lot of crap for saying stuff that you know ten years ago was was pretty basic. First of all, what's the purpose of the book? I know you talk a lot about wokeism, about education, about all of these things. Um, what was your purpose, and and what drove you to write this? Because everything I've read about the book, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book, is very passionate, is very direct. Uh, and right. and what what is it that, yeah. what is it that did drive you drove you in this book? Well, it's sort of what we're talking about here that we all know this woke thing is here. It's destroyed comedy. It's destroyed our cultural institutions. It's destroyed our educational institutions. Big tech has has amplified all of the worst ideas. 
And it's not just enough to complain about it anymore. You know, all of us that talk for a living, we're always exposing this nonsense, but we haven't done anything really to stop it. And, and what this book really is, it's a, it's a couple tools, really. I, I almost, in the subtitle, I almost had how-to, but then I, I felt that that was a little too, too old school. Or something. <laughs> but, it, but it really is, I don't know, a how-to book. It seemed like it should be in Home Depot. So, yes. uh, <laughs> so we removed that. But, but in essence, it's a how-to, not just survive this thing, but really thrive in it. And, there are, yeah. and I give key ways to do that. You know, for example... Don't send your kid to a, you know, a liberal arts college to get a degree in 18th century lesbian poetry to get $120,000 into debt, to have no skills, and then be, be behind the eight ball because they're in debt. You put them into the world with no, with no knowledge of how to do anything and debt and then anger at the system. We need to, we need to either build new institutions or just figure out other ways to go about doing things. You know, own your digital data instead of doing yep. it all on big tech. There are a lot of ways that we can take some of the power back to ourselves, build some new things. You know, if you're upset about big tech, you can get involved. I started a company called Locals. We've since merged with Rumbles. We're fighting big yes. tech. There's a lot of things that you can do to take some of the power back to yourself. Because these guys ain't going to stop, you know. No, we can no. make fun of them all day, but they ha- they have been very successful in destroying an awful lot. Are you hopeful for um, Elon Musk and his uh, uh, involvement in Twitter? Uh, I had I'm heard hopeful. that he. I'm- I hope he does a hostile takeover. I hope this not uh, uh, not becoming a board member is a is a uh, uh, portends what's going to happen. Go ahead. Well, so that's what they're saying now. If he had been a board member, yeah. that would have precluded him from the majority stake. In, in Twitter, but now apparently because he's not, he can actually do the hostile takeover situation. Yeah. Look, in some ways, Twitter could not be worse than it is. So I happen to like him a lot, and I think he'd do a lot of good things. So I'd love to see it because, A, he can't screw it up more, but, B, he could do a lot of good with it. I mean, imagine if, if, if Elon Musk took it over and they uh, suddenly had to open up the books and we knew why they killed the Hunter Biden laptop story, yeah. if we knew how they made the decision to ban Donald Trump, if we knew how they decide to ban some people, always conservatives, and not ban other people, always liberals, if we knew some of this stuff, it might help us all reorganize and, and figure out ways to, to go forward. So you've been, uh, you started off, you, you, you got a poli-sci degree. Uh, did you start doing stand-up first? Did you, what did you start, what was your career at the beginning? Oh, yeah, I started, I got out of college in May of 98, and yeah. uh, I had, for literally the last thing that I did in college, I was doing a public speaking class, and I had already finished all my finals, handed in all my papers, it was quite literally the last day that I spent at university. Uh, I gave a talk just about what it was like to do four years in college, and I modeled it, believe it or not, after my favorite comic, uh, Bill Cosby, and obviously, you know, his yeah. legacy is very different now than it was then. Yeah. Um, but I modeled it after Bill Cosby. I'm sure you saw his famous 1983 special, Bill Cosby himself, where he sits. He's wearing yes. that brown suit. He does the famous chocolate cake routine and the dentist yep. and all that. And yep. I sat on a stool just like that, and I just told some funny stories about college. Half the crowd or half the, the class laughing hysterically, half of them looking at me like I was crazy. And I thought, <laughs> okay, this, I thought, this is what I want to do for a living. And yeah. I, about a week later, I was at New York Comedy Club in New York City. Wow. Uh, doing my first set, and wow. it's like once once you get that in your system, it's in. And then for twelve years, I had all the ups and, ups and downs of a New York City comic, and I worked oh, the road man. for a while, and did the did the cruise ship thing and all that. Oh my and, god! 
Yeah, I lived that life. And, and then, you know, what, what really I think was sort of the key to my success is that, you know, I realized that the Internet was taking over television, that all yeah. of the guys that I knew that should have been successes weren't becoming successful because there was no more room on television. You know, people exactly. weren't getting sitcoms anymore. The way, you know, in the old days, you know this, of course, in the mm-hmm. old days you got on Johnny Carson Tonight Show, if you did yes. five minutes, he liked you, you're on the panel, next yeah. thing you know, you're a star. That happened to everybody from Seinfeld to Louis Anderson, who you mentioned, you to you Tim bet. Allen, to Ellen, to everybody. But it wasn't happening anymore. So I thought, all right, this isn't working. Let me figure out what's going on on this Internet thing. So then I, I kind of was one of the early guys there, and I think that yeah. really is ultimately what led to, to a lot of this now. Well, it sounds like things have really uh, taken off for you very, very nice. I love the fact that you meld humor with uh, with politics. I've been doing that since I graduated nine years before you from college and started writing for Rush that same year. I did a music morning show in a small town, and I started writing for Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> we all find these crazy ways in, but I'll tell you something yeah. about Rush Limbaugh. You know, I came out, I was a lefty and a liberal most of my life, and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, very ideologically opposed to Rush. And, you know, when he passed away, I... I wrote something on Twitter that that really uh, caught a lot of people because I said, you know, here's a guy that I disagreed with for a long time, but over the years came to have a lot of respect for not just as a as a broadcaster, which was always obvious. He was an incredible broadcaster, obviously, and a legend and a trailblazer, but also for the ideas that he was putting forth, because it ain't easy to do it day after day, especially when they're going to demonize you the way that they do. Well, when I graduated college, I had, are you ready for this? I voted for Mike Dukakis in 2000 or 1988. I know. Dear God, what the hell was I thinking? But I got out. I'm a late stage. Uh, I'm a late stage Rush baby. I, st- I discovered Rush at about age 22, and uh, you know I could still be aborted by the left. But I, I was I went full term and became a Rush baby. Uh, Dave, I gr- greatly. I'm sorry I'm missing your show April 19th in West Palm, because uh, that's where I am this week. I would have loved to see the show, but maybe we'll catch up another time. We'll be at the Improv April 19th with, uh, you may have heard him, this Donald Trump Jr. fellow is going to be joining me on stage. And we're in Clearwater, Florida the next night. Uh, All right. I think it's the Improv in in Clearwater. All right. And you've got uh, Don't Burn This Country. That is your new book. Makes to check it out. Also, your podcast is a Rubin Report, and you're just about everywhere, man. I hope we we can have you on again soon. Great to talk to you today. Happy to do it, Rob. Thanks a lot. We have a special guest on the uh, on the phone. She is a, a political pundit. She's a Washington editor for The Spectator, and she was recently let go from uh, Cumulus Media and uh, WML Radio in Washington, D.C., where I used to work. Thank you very much. Amber Athey joins us on the line. Hello there, Amber. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to uh, have you on the phone. We have so much in common. I was fired by Jeff Bowden, too. Oh, well, would you look at that? <laughs> He has a track record. <laughs> now, let me, let me, and I want to just pick on him because uh, there are so many people who I could. Um, let's talk about this. You were fired because you said something about an outfit that Kamala Harris wore to a State of the Union speech, or at least that was the excuse they used. Tell us about the comment and tell us how it suddenly came up and cost you your job. Sure. So during the State of the Union address, I was watching, you know, kind of haphazardly because I was actually at a trivia night with friends, but I saw Kamala's brown (laughs) suit, didn't really care for it, and decided to throw a tweet out there, as one does. And I said, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. And anyone who knows the old UPS slogan knows that it was in reference to the uniform. So I didn't think that there was anything wrong with the tweet. 
But a couple of days later, some left-wing activists got really upset with me because I was speaking out against this phenomenon of transgender children and the idea that, you know, underage kids can make decisions about uh, their bodies that could yeah. be infertile or with osteoporosis <laughs> and all these other side effects. Yes. And they didn't really like that very much. So they started digging through my social media, found this Kamala tweet and started screenshotting it and telling everyone that it was racist. And the what can Brown do for you comment was about her skin color. <laughs> that was when they they started sending in the emails to my various employers. And unfortunately, WMAL owned by Cumulus Media complied with the demands to fire me about a week later. This had to uh, come as a complete shock to you, I'm assuming, um, because I, I also would assume that you made it uh, this far without having something like this happen to you. Do you feel like they were responding to uh, the threat of advertisers or just basically crumbling to the mob because they can't handle the uh, the stress of actually having to defend one of their employees. As far as I know, there were no advertisers that were threatened. I mean, as you as you all know, advertisers kind of vary from station to station, yeah. and the emails that were being sent to Cumulus were to the corporate address. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that these people even knew who the advertisers on WMAL were, and I can't imagine that they got maybe more than a half dozen dozen emails because yes. I've been in in Twitter fights before, and this was pretty mild in compared to some of the other ones where I faced backlash for a few days. This lasts maybe 24 hours. And that's why it was so surprising because there was a a stretch of about five days between the last people really tweeting at me angrily and when I was eventually fired by Cumulus and WMAL. So that was really strange. I, I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think one is that they definitely are pretty cowardly for caving to just a few emails. Yeah. Uh, from people who clearly don't even listen to the station. Yeah. And two, if you look at the the makeup of the executives at Cumulus Media, and you probably know this too, a lot of them are not conservative. They're actually yeah. pretty left-wing. And so they would already be rather sympathetic to the emails that they're receiving because yeah. they probably agree politically with the people who are sending them. I'm trying to figure out why they would do this. Had you done anything before i mean it sounds like you were quite successful i've heard your show with larry o'connor i enjoy what you have to to say do you suppose this is a potential purge of other conservative hosts or is this this a a one-time thing because i know that i know for a fact that larry o'connor has come out and vocally criticized this firing i know that chris plant has done the same thing which is pretty ballsy by the way generally if you know if somebody gets fired you don't say anything and you just kind of disappear from the website i speak from experience amber uh, but you've yeah. had some people defending you. Were they the only people defending you? Did anybody else defend you up the chain on this, or was it just done? I believe that pretty much all of the other hosts on WMAL were defending me, but um, from what I've heard, the executives within the corporate part of the company were really just not interested in reversing this decision and came up with all kinds of reasons why that wouldn't happen. For example, they were the tweet was explained to them. Apparently, some of them didn't even know what the UPS slogan was. And instead of admitting that they were wrong, they said, well, even if we don't think it's racist, the perception of racism is all that really matters. But I can't really think of another reason why they would fire me. A couple of months before this, we actually did this really big photo shoot and marketing campaign for yeah. the new program, O'Connor and Company, And the show was doing really well. Everybody seemed really happy with it. So there was no indication that there were 
other performance metrics that weren't really adding up. It seems from all the feedback that I was receiving from other people that I was doing a good job. So I, I kind of wish it was something else because maybe then this wouldn't be so confounding and yeah. I, I would have some other reason to, to feel less angry about it. But yeah. I mean, that's what my termination letter said. So that's all I can really go by. This is unbelievable. And so you didn't get a chance really to plead your case. You didn't get a chance to explain to them because, I mean, this just to me is is so beyond. It, it's even worse than some other firings that I've, I've heard. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, fired twice for and finally just gave up broadcasting because of the radical LGBTQIAA plus crowd. And, and she, she said fairly innocuous things. You know, yours is even more innocuous. Did you get a chance to uh, to do trial by jury? Did you get a chance to plead your case with anybody, or were you just done? I was just fired outright, and that was one of the most frustrating aspects of it, that a company would take the word of random strangers on the Internet over their own employee and, worse, not even give the employee a chance to defend themselves. When they first told me that, this tweet was in violation of their social media policy. I was so incredulous. And I, I remember interjecting and saying something like, you, you realize it's about her outfit, right? And from that point on, it really sounded like they were reading from a script, like the decision had been made oh. and they were figuring out the best way to break it to me. And no, nothing that I would have said in that moment, I think could have saved me. The decision was already handed down and, so that was another really disappointing aspect of this was just the betrayal aspect of these people are supposed to be there to protect their talent and make sure that we can do our jobs without fear or favor. And they had really gone against uh, that type of relationship. Let me ask you this, Amber. Um, how are you doing personally? I, I know how tough this is. I, I look back and, and I was let go from uh, RQXMAL after being promised uh, Sean Hannity's show. Uh, back in 2013, um, and of course, uh, the Dickey brothers who owned the company at the time didn't abide by their promise because a, a verbal promise isn't worth the paper it's uh, written on. I was able to turn it down and parlay it into something else and look at it as a blessing. Have you been able to look past this as uh, maybe a sign that, that this is uh, going to be a blessing for you? Or are you still just beating yourself up over it? I don't think you should, by the way, but but where are you, by the way? I'm feeling really positive, honestly. Um, I've been dealing with this kind of thing since I was in college. I was a really outspoken conservative at Georgetown University. Whoa, really? (laughs) Yeah, so this is not my first rodeo. I've had people coming after me for my views for years and years and years, so I'm honestly used to it at this point. I have very thick skin that I've developed over the years um, from, from college to working in conservative media. And I'm really grateful for all the support that people have been giving me online. And, you know, this is my part-time job. I'm still working full-time at The Spectator writing, and I have a couple of other really fun projects that I'm working on, so I'm keeping very busy. Good. And if anything, this just gave me more time on my hands to be able to finish some of those other things that I'm kind of wrapping up. So I think I'm going to be just fine, and I'm feeling generally very optimistic about the future. Well, it's uh, it's also, I think, done a hell of a lot for your uh, public profile because a lot of people know who, the, who you are. <laughs> I mean, I've seen you being interviewed by everybody in the last uh, in the last <laughs> week. I, I think it's I think pretty remarkable. What about just real quick I- I- before we go, um, the First Amendment? 
I hold the First Amendment very sacred. I'm sure you do as well, because it has allowed the United States of America to become the greatest engine of economic and individual freedom in the history of mankind. And right now we have companies that are supposed to be arbiters, I guess, to some degree of self-expression. Uh, and something like this happens. Do you feel like the First Amendment is going to make a comeback after all of this nonsense? Man, I sure hope so. It's, it yeah. seems really dire sometimes. And yeah. I know people will say, oh, well, the government didn't come after you for your speech. That has nothing to do with the First Amendment. But if we want free speech in our country, we have to create a culture of free speech. It goes beyond just government censorship. And if we live in a situation where you can't criticize the most powerful woman in the country's outfit, or you can't talk about the negative side effects of children going on puberty blockers, that's going to lead to a very dangerous place. Uh, there's yeah. a reason that democracies are destroyed by uh, authoritarians cracking down on people's ability to have open dialogue, uh, because if you, if you can't criticize your leadership or if you can't criticize their policies, then you're not only silencing dissent, but you're actually uh, preventing people from taking action against leaders at the ballot box as well because they're scared of what's going to happen to them. Yeah, so we you really know, can't speak enough about the dire consequences of cracking down on, on speech in this country. Well, uh, you know, of all things that you could have taken away from you, there is only one that really makes life not worth living, and that is the freedom of expression. I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, mm -hmm. I have seen uh, uh, Facebook pages and uh, Twitter feeds and YouTube channels Blocked for no reason. I had my Facebook page with, and this isn't a this is a metaphor for the bigger issue of being able to speak publicly. Uh, but Facebook right. took down my big Facebook page with hundreds of thousands of followers on November the fourth of twenty twenty without any posts. I hadn't done any posts that day. They took me off the day of the election because they knew that yeah. I was reaching a lot of people. Amber, so That's I just what think they do. Yeah, it's devastating. They are private companies, but. They have made promises to us, and they never explained this at the at the out at the get go what the restrictions were going to be. They just decided to restrict. I wish you the very best, Amber, and I'd like to have you on my show again. And I just want you to know that Newsmax Radio is uh, is growing and could be hiring. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you for letting <laughs> me know that, and I'd be happy to come back anytime. All right, Amber, Godspeed and uh, good luck. I know you're on uh, Getter, G E T T R, and Twitter at Amber Athey. Anywhere else that people can find you. Sure. If they'd like to go to spectatorworld.com, they can use my discount code AMBER to subscribe to a magazine that clearly really respects free speech because they didn't fire me. <laughs> All right, AMBER. Have a great week. And great to talk to you. We'll have you on again soon. Okay. Thank you. Things have changed since the Sony Walkman. Remember that back in the 80s and you'd put the headphones over your ears and you'd go out and you'd walk around everything and, you you know, the, the battery in your Walkman would last a couple hours. Well, now there are earbuds and lots and lots of them out there. Raycon wireless earbuds are exceptional. Why? Well, because they have a 32-hour battery life, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. Like this podcast. Yeah? Sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump you up. Maybe you need something to kind of meditate, clear your head. Kids are making noise in the background. Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycon's come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. So you really can't lose. Give them a try, and you will see what I mean. I promise you. Check this out. Go to buyraycon.com slash Newsmax and get 15% off your Raycon order, okay? Buyraycon.com slash Newsmax to save 15% on Raycons. Again, buyraycon.com slash Newsmax.
A special guest on the uh, phone line is former Louisiana Congressman Representative John Fleming, also former member of the Coronavirus Task Force. He's in Dallas this morning. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on today, and uh, certainly love working with Newsmax. Uh, it's a it's a great network, and uh, it is uh, gaining traction as far as being a, a mainstream media outlet. And and we don't change our stripes like some do. Uh, let me ask you this, sir: What's going to happen on May twenty third uh, unless things change in Washington D.C.? What's what's going to happen to our southern border? Well, if the president goes forward with pulling um, Title 42, uh, it's going to be a huge disaster. Uh, They're estimating 18,000 illegal immigrants crossing the border every day, believe it or not. Uh, And but what's interesting is we're hearing more and more Democrats are getting nervous about this. Both senators from Arizona, uh, Kelly and Sinema. Yeah, uh, siding with Republicans as well as other Democrats, because they know that this is going to be the decimal point, uh, if you will, or the period at the end of the sentence when it comes to Republicans taking over Washington uh, in the upcoming November elections. This is interesting to me because uh, I, I couldn't believe the Democrats are <clears throat> actually speaking out of, against this. Clearly, uh, it doesn't seem like they're very concerned about the border. They're only concerned about the election. Do you suppose there are any Democrats who think that this is a bad idea for the country, not just uh, something that voters are rejecting? (laughs) Well, uh, understand the long view of the Democrat Party is the more illegals they can stuff into the country, the more voters they're going to have in the future and the more elections they're going to win. I actually think they're wrong about that. Uh, We're seeing, you know, President Trump uh, developed an unprecedented following among uh, Hispanics uh, during his tenure, went you know in his campaign, and then while he was in office, mm-hmm. uh, no Republican has had that kind of following, a Latin following, the way he has had, and I, I do see that growing, and uh, African American as well, but particularly uh, Hispanics, yeah. uh, and so just because they crossed the border. Many of these people are fleeing socialist countries to begin with. They're fleeing socialism, and they're coming to where there's freedom and capitalism. They're hard workers, and they really want to have a good job, and they want to raise a family in a great environment. But having said that, you know, uh, we're not an autonomous nation. We're not a country with borders unless we control that. We have to regulate the entry of people. And Title 42 it was a an original act from 1944 that said that there are times of crisis, such as pandemics, when we may have to keep people from entering the, uh, the border or at least slow that down. And so that's exactly what President Trump did in March of 2020 to slow the movement of immigrants into the country, bringing in COVID from Central and South America. And it would be, it's going to be both a, a health care disaster and a uh, disaster to our economy and our nation as a whole if uh, this if this thing's lifted on the 23rd of May. I think it's very cynical. The uh, Democrat Party feels that um, because, and it's, it's really this simple, brown people come across border, all brown people will agree with it. Uh, they say they think the same way about a black woman is nominated to the Supreme Court, all black people will support her. 
because she's black. That's not the case. Uh, many of the people coming across the uh, the southern border, they're uh, by and large Christian. They believe in uh, uh, being pro-life among other Christian tenants that we are familiar with. Many of them are Catholic. And people who have come here legally and busted their butts and worked their way up through the system don't look at people coming across the border and just go, oh, brown people, me must agree with them. They go, uh, you know, really, seriously, uh, do what I did Go back and come back the proper way. Now, I'm all for expediting in any way, shape, or form the legal immigration of people from other countries. And also, I am all about being selective, uh, choosing the best and the brightest to come here because this is a privilege. It is a privilege to be a part if you are not from the country. Uh, It will become a right after you go through citizenry. But don't you feel like it is very demeaning just to think the Democrat Party just thinks that because brown people are coming across the border, that all people, all Hispanics in the country will support their illegal entry? Well, absolutely, Rob. And and look, my good friend, Senator Scott from South Carolina, he's an African-American and a Republican. Uh, He says it best. He says, why is it that people think because I'm black, that uh, the Democrat Party can dictate to me how I think, that I can't have my own ideas and my own opinion of things. And so to your point, yeah, just because people are brown, that doesn't mean that they automatically uh, want to be uh, illegally migrating to the United States or vote Democrat. In fact, if you look at the polls, immigrants are more adamant than even uh, regular citizens. Uh, native-born citizens when it comes to controlling our borders. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I'm a middle-aged white guy, and I look down the street, and I don't want to wear black socks with sandals when I mow the yard like the other white guys. You know what I'm talking about there, John? You, you get what I'm saying here? <laughs> we're, we're, we're... <laughs> Absolutely. How do you know that I wear socks with sandals? <laughs> I know, bro. You know, it, it, John, it's really funny because I used to make fun of that, and then I realized, you know, uh, socks with sandals, there's nothing wrong with socks and sandals. You get to a point in life you really don't care how people look at you, you know. At, at home, anyway, when you're on Capitol Hill, you got to wear a tie and everything. But when you're at home, you're like, I'm going to wear sweats everywhere I go, and I'm going to wear socks and sandals when I'm out the yard, whether you like it or not. Uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit also about, because uh, uh, you are a doctor. Yeah. A uh, little bit about this um, using uh, coronavirus. Uh, for political reasons, and, and I think we've seen this in a, in a number of ways. One of the things that and you may not have known about me uh, before yesterday, let alone in 2020, when I was saying the reason why 2020 was 2020 was because it was 2020, and I believe, honestly, while coronavirus is very serious and while I did get coronavirus, uh, it was played. It was played up. Even Deborah Burks, before she left public office, said that she felt that it was being played up before the election. How do you suppose coronavirus has been politicized and used against the American people as a doctor yourself? Oh, God. well, gosh. Well, as you mentioned before, I was on the coronavirus task force with Dr. Burks. I know her very well, and she was absolutely right. You're correct on that. I think the most egregious uh, use of the coronavirus as a political tool was leading up to the election when you heard people like uh, now uh, Vice President Harris saying, well, God, can we really trust what the uh, what's coming out of the Trump administration? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. You know, can we, can we trust the development of a vaccine? And, uh, and so a lot of people became vaccination reluctant as a result of that. However, the problem we have was once Biden was in office, he was urging everyone to get many shots, you know, two boosters now and all of that. 
and people are reluctant to do that. So uh, they wanted it one way before they were in office and another way once they got in. It is uh, remarkable. I uh, said from the very beginning that if this virus were as bad as everybody says it is, then the people who are in charge would not treat us differently than them. During the height of the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, Anthony Fauci sat in a baseball stadium in Washington, D.C. next to his friends with no mask on. Nancy Pelosi went and got her hair done with no mask on. If this were truly the pandemic of a lifetime, then everybody should have been wearing the same damn hazmat suit that Dustin Hoffman wore in that pandemic movie that he was in in the, in the 90s. It is ridiculous. You look at the fact that we were able to leave Walmart and Lowe's and Target and Home Depot, all of those open, and there are no body pits, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe where you are, uh, uh, sir, maybe where you are, there are body pits with dead employees from Target and Lowe's out back from the co- – did you notice those where you are, sir? No, I, no we haven't seen <laughs> That is weird. That is weird. Have not seen anything. Yeah. Yeah, now let me ask you this. Also, uh, Doctor, what do you think about um, uh, all of these booster shots on top of the uh, the vaccine? And I've never been anti-vaccine, by the way, although I can't take it. But uh, what, what do you think about the continual booster shots ad infinitum? Well, you know, I'm a physician, and, and in general, I support vaccinations against all uh, diseases that, that one can be vaccinated against. However, there is a risk, albeit small risk, and so uh, what we know is that if you've had the first and second shot uh, and then maybe one booster, uh, that you have really strong immunity. And certainly if you've had the infection, and most Americans by far now have had the infection, yeah. fortunately, uh, uh, most of them after being vaccinated. So the question is, now should we take a second or maybe even a third, fourth, and fifth booster? Yeah. I think we more data on that. I don't think we need to rush out there and get a vaccination. <laughs> We're not absolutely certain. The only exception to that would be people who have serious comorbidities that their immune system is so uh, diminished that, you know, even even three or four shots may not be enough. But that's, that's a rare select group. And again, I tell everybody, look, talk to your personal physician. He or she is much better position to give you that kind of advice than anyone yeah. else. One hundred percent, my friend. Well, listen, I appreciate your time today. It's been a real joy talking to you, and I'd uh, I'd love to visit again with you about uh, a number of issues. But I appreciate your insight today. Where can people find you on social media, sir? Well, I'm on Facebook, uh, John C. Fleming. Gotcha. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Gotcha. John C. Fleming. Uh, so I'm happy to communicate and say hello to folks. All right, my friend. Have a glorious time in Dallas, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for listening to the Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson. Check your cable guide or NewsmaxTV.com. Or watch free on YouTube, Roku, Apple, Pluto, Zumo, Amazon Fire, and your smart TV. Newsmax, America's fastest-growing cable news channel. Check NewsmaxTV.com for details.